1: It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended.
0: Welcome to the Mutual Stage, or at least that of the Mutual Radio Theater Stage from the yesteryear of the Mutual Broadcasting System. I'm Jack Ward, here with my little co-host, Penny. We hope in the Mutual Audio Network to bring back that tradition of fun, stage-driven dramas for our listeners with some of the great actors of today. Expect classic and original plays written by the United Artists of Audio for your listening pleasure in the near future. But for now, let's wind back our clocks and listen to our double feature, O'Reilly, No, O'Reilly, and First National Radio Aptitude Test.
2: This is Lorne Green. It's a bleak autumn in 1870, especially in Dogtown, Colorado. A once thriving boomtown, now suffering the fate of a community whose fortunes rise and fall with the output of the gold and silver mines. When the ore runs out, so do the prospectors. And no one feels the impact more than the merchants who depend on the presence of free-spending miners. Fortunately for the owner of Dogtown's most prosperous saloon, he has devised a way to replace his lost revenue.
3: Hey, Barkey! Whiskey! Uh, howdy! Uh, uh, welcome to the road to ruin, stranger. Yes, Marley Pete's the name. I uh, I own this saloon. Uh, well, I wouldn't brag about it. Judging from the number of customers you got, it ain't
4: too popular.
3: I, uh, I don't recollect seeing you before. You a prospector? <laughs> well, ain't everybody. You, uh, you gonna try your luck around here? Hell no, this strike's played out.
4: I'm going to Denver.
3: Yeah, uh, Denver ain't so much. What do they got that we ain't got?
4: Well, the railroad, for one, and, uh, and
3: better saloons. Where's my whiskey? Jubal, uh, bring this man a drink. Right, boss. The whiskey drummer comes through here the other day. Here uh, I left one of his samples. Wants me to switch brands, I think. So I'd be obliged if you'd just try it and uh, tell me what you think. Yeah, you in know, the house, of course. Well, sure. Yeah, to Denver. Well, ain't exactly how it's lightened. It's... Uh, It's... uh, uh... Well, now. I reckon he had too much to drink before he come in.
2: And that's only the beginning of our story. Mm -hmm.
1: Mutual Radio Theater. A new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater Our story, O'Reilly? No, O'Reilly By Steve Sharon Our stars, Tyler McVeigh, Dawes Butler, and Marvin Miller
2: Smiley Pete has just welcomed an unsuspecting stranger to Docktown, Colorado after one drink of Pete's whiskey, the prospector lies unconscious on the floor of the Road to Ruin Saloon.
3: Jubal! Jubal! Will you give me a hand dragging this fella into the back? Oh, he's, he's a heavy one, ain't he? You made it too strong again, Jubal. Oh,
5: sorry. How
3: many times I got to tell you? It ain't good to have him pass out too sudden, like, makes other customers suspicious.
5: What other customers? The place is near empty.
3: Will you shut up and check his pockets?
5: Mm-hmm. Nothing in this one.
3: Well, keep looking. A man don't travel without a grub stake. Well, that's all. Two dollars. Sakes. It hardly seems worth the trouble.
2: What do you want me to do with him?
3: Drag him outside and dump him in back of the privy. And take his horse down to the livery stable. Caleb knows what to do. Right, boss. And don't forget to bring back the money for the horse. (coughs) I tell you, Hiram... (laughs) You may as well dig a real big grave and bury the whole damn town. If only I could. Then maybe I'd finally get rid of all those caskets in my storeroom. <laughs> it won't be long for the whole place. is full of nothing but ghosts, tumbleweeds, and memories. Ah, memories. Gunfights every Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. Trade jumpers shooting prospectors by the score. <laughs> yeah. And, of
4: course, the odd lynching now and then. It was
3: an undertaker's dream. It was bad enough when the gold played out, but... Why'd the railroad have to go to Denver? Why couldn't they come through Dogtown instead? If only I'd been content to use pine boxes. But no, I had to bring in the fancy caskets from St. Louis. Now every cent I've got is tied up in inventory. Yeah, me too. Well, at least you can drink yours. It's... You're doing a pretty darn good job of helping me. Oh, that's okay. Anytime you need a coffin or a place to sleep. I reckon if the railroad had come through here, Dogtown could have been the biggest darn city in the territory. Bigger than Denver, even. Darn railroad. Darn railroad. It could have had me a real saloon with glass chandeliers. One of them mirrors, you know, framed in gold. And a picture of a naked lady hanging over the bar. Hiram Plotkin's funeral and tonsorial parlor. You would have seen the most lavish funerals and the best haircuts west of the Mississippi. But now... now Denver's going to have it all. Oh, I... I hate Denver. Me too. You know what we got to do? What? Pack up and head for Denver. After what they've done to us? Dogtown is finished. I don't see no sense waiting around to make it official. Besides, there's plenty of room in Denver for you and me. Aren't you forgetting something? It takes money to set up in a new town. All I've got is some empty caskets and a pack of unpaid bills. What about you? got well, Two dollars. Whatever I get for a certain horse. But don't worry. <laughs> I'll get us a grub somehow. Good yeah, a the morning to you, Jubal, my lad. Ah, it is a fine, beautiful day, is it not?
5: Well, it's cold out, that's what it is. Oh, oh,
3: yeah, frightful cold, frightful cold. I I, I was just thinking what a horrible day it is. And uh, on a day like this, a man could certainly do with a wee bit of something to warm him up, uh, if you get my meaning. Well, I get it, O'Reilly, I get it. Ah, how is me credit then, Jubal, lad? Same as it always is. I see. Well, uh,. What have you it got that a man with no money can afford? Nothing. In that case, I'll have a double and a word with your boss, if you please. He's over there in the corner. Uh, uh, Pardon me, sir. Uh, uh, what do you want, O'Reilly? Why might I be having a word with you about my credit? You don't have any. Uh, so I've been told. Uh, Aunt is a sad state of affairs when a fine old Irish actor, such as myself... Sinks to such depths of poverty. Uh, that's why I've come to ask for an advance, uh, so to speak. Cash on the barrelhead, O'Reilly. You know that. Now, uh, I I wouldn't be asking if I didn't have some hope of paying you back. You see, uh, <clears throat> I uh, I've had a bit of luck. Yeah. What kind of luck? Well, sir, I I'd rather not say. Times being what they are. and... Certain rascals being only too willing to jump a man's claim. What are you worried about? You've never done any prospecting, Or have you? Ah, there I've gone and said too much already. Oh, my dear Terrence, you can trust us. We're your friends. You made a new strike now, No, Major. no, no, not a new strike. Well, what then? More like an old one. You see, I was down around the little glory diggings and a i have come across this, uh, you know, uh, no word I put it. I thought the little glory mine was laid out a
2: long time ago.
3: It was. There ain't nothing down there. Ah, now, that's where you're wrong. And I'll prove it if I give... Ah, ah here it is. Ah, sure, and I'm no miner. But you tell me if that ain't gold. That ain't gold. What? Oh, go on with you. Of course it is. It's fool's gold, you drunken old cook. Oh. And aptly named in this case. It's just a worthless piece of pyrite. I told you, the little glory's all played out, just like everything else in Dogtown. Oh, I see. Well, uh, does this mean you won't be giving me an advance any me credit? Jobo, give the Irishman a drink. One drink... And the house,
5: right, boss?
3: Ah, oh, ain't you grand? Thank you kindly. Uh, for a minute there, I thought we had our grub stake to Denver. Crazy old fool. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <clears throat> uh, I'm thinking. You know that O'Reilly's all alone, eh? <laughs> Just an old beat up drunk. No friends, no relatives? Yeah, so? So, maybe he'll get us to Denver after all.
2: Abandoned by the gold prospectors and bypassed by the railroad, Darktown, Colorado is rapidly fading into oblivion. A fate which saloon keeper Smiley Pete and undertaker Hiram Topkin do not intend to share. Which is why they are at the office of Moses Sweeney, Western agent for the trustworthy insurance company. The name of the insured? Terence. Aloysius. O'Reilly. And Terence?
3: Aloysius. Aloysius. O'Reilly. O'Reilly. And the name of the beneficiary. Yours truly. And Smiley Pete. Now, if you'll just forge... or er, sign O'Reilly's name and hand over the first installment. Uh,
6: Surely. <laughs> mm. That's every last cent we've got.
3: hmm Here you are. One life insurance policy for $800. The only thing that remains to be paid is my, uh... Shall we say, commission. Shall we say bribe? We call it what you like. The price is still the same. One hundred dollars. You'll get your money when we get ours. That wasn't the deal. Just what kind of a business do you think I'm running here? The same kind we run, Sweeney. Crooked. You can afford to wait. Well, it, it's the principle of the thing. If if someone came to you and wanted a funeral for themselves, you'd make them pay before the funeral, not after. Mm, he's got the point there, Pete. After we kill the Irishman. And after you put in the claim, not before... I'm sure it'll go through much faster if you got money coming, too, Sweeney. Well, I I don't like it. It, it. It's
6: unethical. Then
3: why don't you write the trustworthy insurance company and tell them? And while you're at it, why don't you tell them about all that phony mine insurance you've been selling? All right, all right. I, I'll wait. But my commission just went up. Fifty dollars. Are you sneaking... Oh, all right. It's a deal. Good oh i I don't suppose either of you'd be interested in
7: any railroad insurance
4: Zero. Them and get him in them crates. And you there, boy, start loading them sacks of flour onto the wagon. Here, be careful with them bottles.
2: Hey, Crabtree, what's going on? Well, what it look like? I'm closing
4: up the store, moving on to Denver. If your boss had any sense of you, he'd do likewise.
5: Well, I reckon we won't be too far behind. Smiley Pete says we'll even just as soon as you get rid of...
4: Get, uh, get rid of what?
3: Of uh, Rats. We got rats back at the saloon.
4: Dirty little vomits. They can take over the whole blame town for all I care. Well, what you want to kill rats for if he's leaving?
3: Oh, I don't know. He just sent me over to get some of what he's got written down on this here paper. Uh, let me see.
4: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I got some. There you go. But be careful. Don't take much of that stuff to kill a few puny rats.
5: Ooh, well, I think the Mormon peach after is a mighty
4: big one.
3: Hey, Jubal, uh, did you get it? Oh, yeah, it was Crabtree's last bottle. Excellent. Now, uh, pay attention, Hiram. And... Uh... You'll learn how to make the kickinest whiskey he's ever gonna taste. You mean the last
6: whiskey he's ever
3: going to taste? <laughs> 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 and now, we've let one barrel of rainwater come to a boil like this, you see. And now we add the alcohol, and three plugs of to tobacco for, uh, for color. Then half a pound of red pepper to liven it up. <laughs> Pour it in, Jubal. And then we put it. Where's the soap, Jubal? I think I'm going to be sick.
5: why oh, you, boss.
3: Five bars of soap to give it
6: body. Now we
3: just let it all boil together, and pretty soon, yeah, yeah. we're gonna have a batch of whiskey so strong it'll make your eyeballs bleed. Remind me to do my drinking across the street from now. I boss, what about the? Jubinja Hasefet, a plum forgot. Give me the arsenic you got from Crabtree, Jewel ah, There.
8: <laughs>
3: yeah, that ought to do her. Hiram, uh, if I was you, I'd find out what size coffin O'Reilly wears. Oh, Patty, dear, did
5: you hear?
3: The news is going round? The Shamrock is forbidden by law to grow on a English crown. St. Patrick's Day, no more will keep here. If there's any English pigs in here, step outside and I'll whip the whole cowardly lot of you. <laughs> hey, the Terrence, the boss wants to see you. Huh? The boss, he wants to have a drink with you. Oh, he does, does he? Well, never let it be said to Terrence Alouish wishes so Who's ever replied to his host? Lead on, Jubal, my boy. Lead on.
8: Ha ha, O'Reilly.
3: Where have you been? We've been waiting for you. Yes, we've been waiting for you. Oh, have you now, Jubal? Now uh, bring us another bottle. Right, boss. I you just pull up a chair here and sit down? Oh, how about, about a, a, a it? drink, huh? Yeah? Oh, I like that. Oh, here you go, boss. You just try a shot of this, old timer. Oh, thank you. But you, uh, you aren't going to join me then? <laughs>
4: no, I don't my limit.
3: Don't you worry yourself about us. You just go right ahead. Oh, oh, oh. But, but I'd feel funny if my two friends didn't have a drink with me. All right. You, boy, bring us two beers. Two beers coming up now go ahead, Terrence. <laughs> have a drink. do in the hatch, then. Ah. Well, how do you feel? Grand.
8: Just grand.
3: Here. Have another. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Are you sure you aren't Irish? Yes, I'm
3: sure. What what, what was your name again? Plotkin. Mm. I knew a pitkin once. From Belfast he was. Uh, might you be related then? Plotkin, not pitkin. He was a Protestant, I believe.
2: Big, strap and broth of a lad. Excuse was me. was his
3: whole mother and until he went to He's almost finished the whole bottle. Why isn't he dead? Why should I know? Why he isn't dead? Well, do something, <laughs> Jubal. Get the Irishman another bottle. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer. The arrows and misfortunes of ready to
6: I thought he'd never go.
3: Well, you're the undertaker, Jack, and make sure that he's mm. t- Well, I can still feel a pulse. <laughs> Durns, sober and Irish.
6: Well, don't worry. He drank two bottles of whiskey laced with arsenic. It won't be long now.
2: Smiley Pete and Hiram Plotkin have purchased an insurance policy on in the life of Terence O'Reilly that conveniently names them as beneficiaries. Now, having pumped the Irishman full of whiskey, they wait anxiously for the poison to take effect.
3: Hiram, you better check O'Reilly again. I just did. We'll check him again. Uh, He's still alive. What do you mean, he's still alive? I mean, he's still alive. Don't worry, it won't be long now. You've been saying that for the last five hours. It's almost sunup. Well, we just have to (laughs) hit it. Wait, in the meanwhile, why don't we have another drink? Give me that. Hmm? Who do you think you are, anyway, drinking up all my inventory? Well, I just thought I Just did. look at you. Who just looks at me? One more drink and you'll turn into a walking whiskey vat. Hello, Riley's probably been dead the whole time, only you're too drunk to know it. I reckon I'll just have to check him myself. Well, he sure as hell feels dead. I don't hear no heartbeat, so so really much.
8: <laughs> Jump into the hospital!
3: Oh, oh, top of the morning to you. <laughs> I, I don't believe <laughs> it. You, you, you're still. Stu- don't tell me I've spent the whole night here in your saloon. but, but this
6: is impossible. You I know,
3: I know. I drank a wee bit too much, and I do apologize to the both of you. Uh, thanks for the use of your floor. <laughs> and now, if you'll excuse me. I'll be on my way.
8: Hey, uh, boss, lost so much time. What are you
3: doing here? Never mind. Oh, Wait a minute, O'Reilly. How about a drink before you go? Why, perhaps a wee one. Just to get me started. Help yourself. Hiram, Jubal, I want to talk to you in the back. Don't go away, O'Reilly. I'll be right with you. take your time, take your time. All right, Hiram, you're the undertaker. How come O'Reilly ain't one of your customers yet? I don't know. Maybe it isn't using enough ice. <laughs> what will we do now? If at first you don't succeed? Yeah, that's true. Hey, O'Reilly, you must be getting kind of hungry. Oh, now that you mention it, I do feel kind of wolfish. Well, I'll just get Jubal to rustle up some grub for you. <laughs> Hey, Jubal, where are them fish you caught yesterday? Oh, I left them hanging outside. We'll go and get them, again. Now, where did I put the rest of that arsenic? Golly, it's cold out there. Here's the fish. Put them on the plate. Now, I'll just pour some of this arsenic over these fish. I'll let them soak a while.
5: Yeah, but boss, we won't be able to eat them if you do
3: that. Don't worry, Jubal. I think I know what he's got in mind, and it's a perfectly delicious idea. <laughs> <laughs> Jubal, you and Hiram break this bottle in that barrel there. Then I want you to grind the pieces into little bits. If you say so. <laughs> how, how you doing, old-timer? Oh. Just run, Peter, my just grand. You like fish, don't you? Oh, I do indeed. Good, because Jubal is making you a fish sandwich. Now, now, don't be going to no trouble on my account. There's no trouble.
6: How are you doing?
8: Yeah.
3: Is that enough? Yeah, 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 that's, that's... Now, I'll just cut open these fish. They should have soaked up that arsenic by now. And we'll just lay that ground-up glass inside all right, Jubal. Uh, Serve Mister O'Reilly his grub. There you go, O'Reilly. A nice fish sandwich. Ah, tis a lucky man I am to have friends like you. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, how do you feel? I um, mean, how's it taste? Mm, like me old mother used to make, Jubal boy. Oh, you've outdone yourself. Did you hear
8: that? He likes it. Yeah,
3: make sure you eat the whole thing, O'Reilly. Otherwise, you will be uh, downright insulted. <laughs> Look at him. He's eaten the whole sandwich. How can he do that? Oh, that glass would be ripping his guts open by now. The man must have his stomach made of iron.
6: Yeah, but with, with the ice thing. Maybe
3: it's all that whiskey he drinks. That's why the poison doesn't affect him. Either that or Crabtree sold you a bad batch of arsenic. Why don't I just shoot him and get it over with boss? No, 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 no. It's got to look natural. We don't want the insurance company getting suspicious. Or the sheriff. Hey, you're right, you're right. Jubal, you give him a double of what you gave that prospector yesterday. It won't kill him, but at least it'll knock him out. Right. Ah, that was a fine meal, Jubal. Thank you. Hey, how about a drink to wash it down? Don't mind if I do. Oh, what's a good drummer come through here the other day and left one of the samples. Who wants the boss to switch brands? Try it and see what you think. Glad to be of service. To Ireland! Mmm, not bad. If I were Pete, I'd... Uh, yes, sir, the old ways are the best ways. Give me a hand with them, Jubal. <laughs>
8: All
3: right, uh, this far enough. Whoa, there. Ooh, it's cold. Makes my hands are frozen. I wish it'd stop snowing. Will you stop your belly aching and help me get the Irishman out of this wagon? Uh, Over uh, here. Uh, That's good enough. Uh, Drop him. Uh, now Jubal, you strip a down down to his Long Johns. Hiram, you help him get these water buckets out of the wagon. Yeah. I'd known telling O'Reilly was going to be this much trouble. This ought to do the trick. All right. Now just pour the water all over him. And maybe make sure he's good and wet, you know. Now start packing that snow around him.
8: Yeah. All right. That's
3: enough. That's enough. Now let's get out of Here. <coughs>
5: Yeah. How long before he
3: comes to? A
5: couple hours, of reckon.
3: <laughs> by the time he does, all right, he's going to have one fatal case of pneumonia. ha <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: Born Green again, and here's the fourth act of our story.
4: Hey, <laughs> Botkin!
3: <laughs> Back here!
5: Oh, hello, Sheriff.
2: I'm afraid i got some business for you. Judging from that coffin you're putting together, it looks like you expected
5: me. Yes,
3: I was. What? That is what I mean. Is I, uh, well, I have to be prepared in this profession. You never know when somebody's up and dropped dead, you yeah? know. I reckon so. Well, anyways, I got one for you. He's out in the wagon. Well, we'd better get him in here. He must be frozen solid by now. No, body's still warm. Oh, 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 yes, of course. I found him this morning. Chinese fella. Uh, Sheriff, he's not Chinese. He's Irish. Oh, really? No, O'Reilly. I thought his name was Ying. It's O'Reilly. Well, anyways, I got him out here in the wagon. He's all yours, well, oh, that's not O'Reilly, that's a Chinaman. He sure don't look Irish, does he? Boss! Boss, you better come here, quick! Uh, what, what, what's the matter? What who's coming in. A top of the morning to you.
6: Him? Oh,
3: no, not again. What are you doing here, Terrence?
6: Beat. Beat the sheriff
3: <laughs> just what?
6: Who did...
3: You! Uh, how did you... A good day to you, Mr. Plotkin. Eh? Uh, uh. Oh! I, I beg your pardon. I, uh, I seem to have caught a wee bit of a cold. A, a cold? Yes, that's uh, why I stopped by. I was uh, wondering if you could tell me what I did yesterday. What you did? After I left here. I'm afraid I had a bit too much to drink... I woke up wearing nothing but my long johns, and you'll never guess where I found myself.
5: Sure is dark down here. I don't mind telling you, a mine shaft makes me downright nervous. What do you want to come down in the little glory for, anyway? Yeah, I got
3: my reasons. You just take notice of how far that candle's burned down in that lantern, Jewel. Emily. What's the matter with you? Little old bat can't hurt you none. I know, I know. It just spooked me. That's all while I stood warming. Come on. It ain't much further. Oh, hold it. There, there it is. Okay. Blow out the candle and another lantern. And done and done. Watch it now. Don't get too close to the edge. How far down do you reckon it is? That's what I aim to find out. Mm. I'm going to drop a rock down this hole. Now, you keep quiet and listen for uh, when it hits bottom. Here goes.
5: I I don't hear nothing.
3: I know. That's the beauty of it. It's just what we need to get rid of O'Reilly. A bottomless hole.
4: Hey, 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 O'Reilly. Oh, tis you, Pete. What can I
3: do for you? I want to talk to you. Uh, you still got that piece of fool's gold you found near the little glory mine? Sure, I got it right here. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, let me see it. Hmm. See, I've been thinking it over. Aha, uh-huh. look. What is it? You see them little flecks there? That's silver. What? Oh, go on with you. Do you mean to see Shh, say th- Not so loud. You mean to say you think there might be silver down in the Vigil Glory? Could be. See, a prospector looking for gold might pass over silver and not even take notice. Saints preserve us. If what you say is true. Oh, but I'm no miner, sure. I don't even know what to look for. Don't worry. See, we'll go down with you and see that you get what's coming to you. <laughs> Uh, well, watch your step. You should have brought more land. Two is plenty. Do you, do you know where you're going? To the end of the tunnel. If there's any silver down here, it'll be at the face. Right, Duval? Right, oh, You all right? my yeah, Michael. I think it's broken. Well, let me see. No, no, don't
8: touch it. Oh, can
3: you walk? No, oh, no, it's broke, I'm sure of it. Oh, poor lad. So we'd best be getting it back. All right. Uh, here, O'Reilly. Uh, you take this lantern and go on down to the face, and Hiram and me will carry Jubal back to the entrance and catch up with you later. No, 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 I, I, I wouldn't want to get lost down here. You won't get lost. Just go straight down till you come to a fork in the tunnel. Just keep to the right, and you'll reach the face. But but, but Now, but... there's no sense in us all going back. Besides, if there is any silver down there, I reckon you'll want to be the first to see it. Oh Well, all right, I... Yeah, I'll be sure to face them. Uh, don't don't forget. Keep to the right. Right. <laughs> How's your ankle, Jubal? Right as rain, boss. <laughs> that was a nice bit of acting you did there. Too bad O'Reilly isn't going to be around to appreciate it. <laughs> did you? Did you fix his lantern, like I told you? Yeah, I measured his candle again, the one we took with us this morning. And then I cut the wick so it'll flutter out just before he reaches the bottomless hole. You mean bottomless grave. <laughs> yeah, O'Reilly's bottomless. Bottom was
8: gray.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my brother Bill has a still on the hill where
3: he fixes a gallon or two Buzzards in the sky flight Oh here we are Keep to the right he says Oh I keeps to the right
2: What's ah, so this? Sure, ain't that a hell of a place to be put in a hole. Well, Terrence, me lad, you've made a wrong turn. You'd best go back and try the left fork.
8: Do you think
3: O'Reilly's got there yet? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> His lantern should draw out any time now. Yeah, we better go check. Jubal, uh, you lead the way, Hey! What incarnation did you put out the light for? Well, my fault. It just went out by itself. Are you nuthead! You gave O'Reilly the wrong lantern. me? You're the one that gave it to
6: him? Well, do something. See if you can light it again.
3: Oh, I can't find it. It must have rolled away in the dark. Will, will, you, will you just feel around for it? <laughs> I, I can't see a thing. Now,
8: oh, watch it. You watch
3: it. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna get out of here? Will you shut up and let me think. Hiram, where are you? Here, here. Hey, grab hold of my belt, uh. and Jubal, you grab onto Hiram's <laughs> belt. Now, everybody touch the wall with your right hand. I get it. All we have to do is walk slow and easy. Huh?
5: Oh, that's right. We'll be out of here in no time. <laughs>
3: I, I, I hope you're going the right way. Don't worry. Ah, oh, damn, Curtis! What was that? Just a bat! No, 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 no. Something else. It
4: sounded like a rumble.
3: I don't hear nothing. Dude, what kind of a rumble? Maybe, a... Maybe it's screaming. Oh, Lord. Faster, walk faster. <laughs>
8: Get out! Get out! I
3: can't see where I am. Don't stop! We gotta keep going. Wait, where is the entrance? Will you just keep going? Will you just keep going?
2: sure hate to see you closing up the road to ruin, Sheriff. Well, I've got to. Now that Smiley Pete and, and Jubal are gone. And with Hiram gone, I reckon I'll have to close up Funeral Parlor, too.
3: Ah, the poor lads.
2: Terrence Aloysius
7: O'Reilly?
3: Sure, that's me. Name's Moses Sweeney. I'm from the Trustworthy Insurance Company. I'm here to make payment on the life insurance policy. Life insurance? I don't know what you're talking about. No, I don't reckon he'd have told you. The fact is, Smiley Pete took out a policy insuring you for $800 and naming himself beneficiary. He did, did he? Now, wasn't that nice of him? Yes, but there was also a reverse beneficiary clause in the policy, and now, since Pete is... well, the $800 goes to you. preserve us. $800. $800. Minus my commission of $150. Now, if you'll just sign this receipt, I can make payment right now.
2: I'll be glad to.
3: And thank you. And here's your draft for $650. Oh, bless you. Uh, good day. Oh, that Peter. What a grand friend he was. Sheriff, uh... Now that you've closed up the saloon, might I ask what you be doing with all of Pete's inventory? You mean the whiskey? Well, I reckon it'll all be sold off. Why? Well, I've had a bit of luck, you see. And I was thinking of heading for Denver. Maybe opening up a saloon of my own. <laughs>
1: The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, O'Reilly, oh No, O'Reilly, was written by Steve Sherry and produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your host was Lorne Green. Our stars were Tyler McVeigh, Dawes Butler, and Marvin Miller. Featured in the cast were Don Diamond, Barney Phillips, and Howard Culver. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CVI. This is Andy Griffin. Join us tomorrow at the
5: same time. I've got another story I think you'll find riotously amusing.
8: We're over here.
5: That's better. Glad you found us. I'm Andy Griffith. How any of you can remember huddling close to the big radio in the living room while Dad expertly tuned the dials and the sound of static magically gave way to the voices of Fred Allen, Jack Benny, The Shadow, Pepper McGee, and Molly, the Green Hornet, Jack Armstrong, Edgar Bergen, and Buck Rogers. From some distant spot in the night, these and other programs miraculously came to life right in your very own home. Well, that's what radio used to be like. Nowadays, radio is a constant companion, a good friend who oft times is taken for granted. Turn it on, flip the stations, you'll hear a phony psychiatrists. Freeway conditions, school closings, ball games, all-news, beautiful music, not-so-beautiful music, fast-talking DJs. I won't even mention those strange headsets the kids and joggers like to wear. All in all, radio is as modern and mobile as the people it serves. As the radio's future, we can be sure that it will continue to inform and entertain listeners for generations to come. And that gives me a good feeling. So how much do we really know about this medium that shares so much of our everyday lives? Well, we're going to have a chance to find out, because in a moment, we'll take the first national radio aptitude test. And that's only the beginning of our problems.
1: Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater Our story, the first National Radio Aptitude Test by Mark Trella Our star, Alan Young
5: This is certainly an important event in radio history imagine to actually take part in the very first National Radio Aptitude Test. And it's now my distinct pleasure to introduce to you the man most qualified to administer this epoch-making event, Mr. Buddy Binder. Thank you, Mr. Griffith. I'm Buddy Binder, and
3: I'll be administering the first National Radio Excuse Aptitude Excuse me. Is this the first National Radio Aptitude Test? Why, yes it is. Have you got a license to administer this test? No, I don't. Then I'll have to close you down. You can't do that. We haven't even started. Sorry. I got my orders. Orders? Who are you, anyway? I'm Martin Morton. Uh, uh, No, make that Morton Martin. Anyway, I'm with Equality in Evaluating Intelligence Operations. You probably know us better as EIEIO. Oh. No, just one O. Well, So why are you closing down the test? I told you. You need a special permit to administer a radio aptitude test. Couldn't you make an exception just this one time? This is an epic-making event. There must be millions of people out there hanging on our every word. No kidding? We really deserve special consideration. Uh, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll let you continue the show if you let me help you. Well, I really don't need any help. All right, I'll have to shut everything down. Wait, 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 wait. Did you... You sure you know how to do this? I mean, you haven't even seen a script. You don't even know what we're trying to do here. It's a cinch. I make my living administering tests. Here, give me your script and I'll show you what I mean.
5: Well, all
3: right. Welcome, everyone, to the first National Radio Amateur Hour. That's aptitude test. That's what I said. Anyway, you listeners will need to supply a few items for the test. First of all... You'll need some paper and two number three pencils. Uh, Make that three number two pencils. Next, number the left-hand column of the page from 1 through 27 and the right-hand margin from 28 through 54. Oh, wait a minute. That's wrong. Uh, Let's start all over. You'll need a wastebasket, a yellow raincoat, and several feet of insulation. No, wait, wait. Don't, don't anyone panic. We really are going to take this test. I didn't get a master's degree in test administration for nothing. Well, it was almost nothing, but that's beside the point. Ah, here we are. I've got it now. I've got it now. Phew. I'm glad we got rid of him. And the way we did it was a radio technique known as the fade. Here's how it works. As I'm talking, my voice starts to disappear. You hear? And then the engineer makes my voice return to normal. (laughs) That's a fade. Now, remember that word, because we'll be returning to it from time to time. Now then, are you ready to take the test? Good. The first question is true or false. Here we go. Johann von Radio invented the radio in 1834. Got that? All right. Next question, also true or false. At the time of his death, Johann von Radio had been developing a radical new invention, Color Radio. I will answer that question. Who are you? Who am I? Well, I'm the greatest inventor west of the Pecos, east of the Monongahela, south of the Yacanucani, and north of Tehachapi. But who are you? I am Colonel Haphazard, sir. The greatest inventor whatever lived, by none. If you're so great, how come I've never heard of you? I've got a crony PR man. Hmm. Well, what are you doing here? I have come here to set the record straight, allay the alleged allegations, dispute the insidious insinuations, and get me some free publicity to boo. Now, wait a minute. The first national radio aptitude test will not be turned into a forum for crackpots. Who are you calling a crackpot? Present company included. So, do you, do you realize I could involve you in lengthy litigation? What you just said is libelous, bilious, blasphemous, and injurious to my good name. I just might see you in court. Calm down, Colonel. Calm down, sir. When a gentleman of my background is insulted in public... Just what is your background, Colonel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now, normally, I do not toot my own horn. But since my honor is at stake, I'm going to make an exception... To begin with, I have made countless contributions to society and civilization as we know it. Such as? For starters, I made the see-through diaper. The see-through diaper? Not only that. During the war years, I was in charge of research and development in the area of office supplies for the military. Office supplies? As a direct result of my own personal efforts, we were the first nation to develop the disposable wastebasket. I think I read about that. Didn't you receive federal funds to develop the disposable waste basket? Uh, no, sir. The federal funds come rolling in after they realize what a genius I was. I was the very first recipient of the Ulysses S Grant Grant. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. And right now I am directing my keen eye into the recreational field. On the drawing boards, I have got the first collapsible tennis racket and the first inflatable baseball bat. Well, that's marvelous, Colonel. But what does all of this have to do with the first national radio aptitude test? I'm here to answer that question about color radio. Oh, oh, that Oh, that was just a gag. The writer threw it in for laughs. Nobody would ever be dumb enough to believe there was such a thing as color radio. Now, that is too bad, because I'm here to tell you that color radio is as real as the flap on a flapjack, and you folks don't know what you've been missing. If what you say is true, Colonel, that would be a major breakthrough. No, as a colonel breakthrough. Hmm. Don't you forget it. Well, could you give our listeners a preview of color radio? Just a, a little tiny one for our millions of listeners. Millions of
5: listeners? Hmm.
3: Oh, all right. <clears throat> now, first, the folks at home will need a few ordinary household items to convert their present sets to receive the ultra-high frequency color radio signal. Uh, this won't take long, will it, Colonel? Our time is limited. It'll take but a minute, and it's real simple. Here's what you're going to need, folks. You get yourself a pair of pliers, some chicken wire, and a jar of fireflies. Now, no, wait a minute. Make that a pound of lard, some stove bolts, and a straight razor. No, that ain't right neither, is it? No, it ain't. I told you we'd be returning to the fade. Now we'll wrap up this portion of the test with a true or false statement. One advantage radio has over television is that radio shows are rarely interrupted by commercials.
5: Welcome back to the First National Radio Aptitude Test. And I do believe we're ready for the second part of the test. Buddy Binder again. I'd like to introduce another
3: technique, which we'll be using during the show. It's called reverb. Now, when I say... Oh, excuse me. Is this the First
6: National Radio Aptitude Test?
3: Why, yes, it is. Have you got a reverb license? I wasn't aware that we needed to oh, I'm li- sure you do. The sister right here, you see. Okay. Yes, yes. Oh, oh, I see. Is that, who are you, anyway?
6: Martin Morton. But he was just here. No, 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 no. That was Morton Martin. Oh. People confuse us all the time because we look alike. And I suppose you're also with EIEIO? No, no, no. no. I'm with AEIOU. And sometimes Y. That's audio enforcement in organizations
3: unwholesome. I take issue with that remark. This show is completely wholesome. And what does the why mean? Why? Because I'd like to know. No, no. No,
6: that's what it means. It's an inside joke. Oh,
3: well, I'm glad I'm outside. Look, could I ask you to do me a favor? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, good. Just say a few words to our national audience. Me? Yes, you. There must be millions of listeners. Go ahead, say
6: anything that comes into your mind. (laughs) Gee. (laughs) All right. (coughs) First... I'd like to say hello to all my family and friends. Mom, Dad, Sam, Don.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for these interruptions. If it wasn't for the fade, we'd be in serious trouble. Now I'd like to continue, if I may, with the following question. Johann von Radio has been called the father of modern radio. Who is the mother of modern radio? give up? The mother of modern radio is none other than Johann's mother, Mrs. Olga Von Radio. And as a special treat, Mrs. Von Radio is with us in the studio. Hello, Mrs. Von Radio,
6: and welcome to the first national radio aptitude test. Ah, it is my pleasure. I just love to talk with young people. And not many of them know my Johann invented the radio. It's a shame. He certainly hasn't received the credit due him for his invention. He couldn't get any credit when he was inventing it either. It's distressing to hear that one of the great minds of our day lived in abject poverty. I abject? We lived in Vienna. Yeah, I mean, he had an impoverished background. Ah, we had lots of money, if that is what you mean. I don't understand. You had plenty of
3: money, and yet Johann had to scrimp and beg in order to finance his inventions. How can you
6: justify such shabby treatment of a genius? You call him a genius, we call him Dumkopf. I find that hard to believe. What else would you call somebody who invented synthetic strudel? A well, uh, stainless steel glockenspiel? Well... A just...
3: vaultable vault He was obviously ahead of his time. Great minds are always misunderstood. No,
6: no, there was no misunderstanding. This kid was strictly weird. Once he even tried to put my little schnauzer Rudy into orbit. Was the attempt successful? Are you kidding? Rudy crash-landed in the Vienna woods. He has never forgiven, Johann. That's understandable. The whole experience left Rudy very bitter. He still sees an analyst. I'm sorry to hear that. At times he gets even vicious. Have you ever seen a vicious schnauzer? I don't think I can even say it. Go ahead. Say it five times real fast. Yeah. Vicious schnauzer, vicious schnauzer, vicious <laughs> <laughs> Impossible to do. In my spare time, I play me the tongue twisters. I got another one. Sally string strudel in the street. Mrs. Vaughn Radio, could we please return to the topic at hand? Ah, yes. The topic at hand, of course. Uh, what is it? Your boy, Johann. When did he build his first radio? Oh, let me see. He built it after he got his first motor car. Why is that? The car didn't come with a radio, so Johan had to invent, invent one. one. <laughs> he also invented white walls and the glove compartment. For his gloves, of course. No, no, no. That is where he put the radio. I told you, he was a weird kid. It certainly sounds like quite a car. Ugh, yeah. You wouldn't catch me in it. He even put in Venetian blinds. That does sound a bit unusual. Also installed a lower level leather louver. A lower level leather louver? Go and say it five times real fast. Lower level leather louver, lower level leather <laughs> louver. louver. <laughs> that's another tongue twister for you. Yes, it is. Well, that's all the tongue twisting we have time for today, Mrs. Von Radio. Uh, that is Mrs. Von Radio, cop. <laughs> Sorry, I seem to be wearing my slurs. I, 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 I got just the thing for that. Say this five times real fast. Freud's father Feet Frankfurtus.
2: We interrupt this broadcast for a test of the inoperable broadcast system. This has been a test of the inoperable broadcast system. If it had been an actual alert, you would have been instructed to run for your life.
4: This is Larry Reason. At the moment, I'm standing on the hood of an imported car a scant hundred yards away from a chain-link fence which surrounds the 7-kilometer island nuclear facility and Shopping Plaza. Inside, this concrete monstrosity unfolds a drama of far-reaching consequence. Earlier in the day, a Hollywood movie crew arrived to film a hypothetical scene in which a nuclear reactor would melt down and destroy the Earth. The film's director, a rather large bearded man clad in black, informed the staff that he wished to direct an actual real-life meltdown. The staff refused. A struggle ensued. A gun was pulled. A shot rang out. I said a shot rang out. That does it. A gunshot rang out. Could we please have another sound effects, man?
2: Thank you.
3: In case you've been hiding under a television set for the last 30 years, the preceding excerpt was a paraphrase of radio's most famous hoax. A hoax perpetrated by the distinguished gentleman seated next to me. He is the enfant terrible, the toast of several mediums and the voice of chocolate pudding. Let's have a nice round of applause for Mr. Arson Welles. Hello, Mr. Wales. It is my pleasure to welcome you to the first National Radio Aptitude Test.
2: Pick a card.
4: Pardon me? Pick a card. Any card. Why, Mr. Wales? Because I begin all of my appearances with a card trick. It's part of my mystique.
3: But you can't do card tricks on radio.
4: I can do anything I want. I'm a genius. Now, pick a card.
5: Yes, Mr. Wales.
4: Show it to the audience. Good. Now, insert it in the deck. Now, I say the magic word, Rosebud. And presto, here is your card. Thank you, thank you. That that wasn't my card, Mr. Wales. Of course it was. How would you like me to saw you in half?
3: No, thank you, sir, no. Uh, Could we please talk about your colorful and outstanding career in radio?
4: Since you put it that way. That little gem you just heard was recorded in a cab on the way to a cancellation. I composed most of it off the top of my head which is one reason why it is such a stunning tour de force. There are other reasons. My skillful direction, my brilliant selection of music, my exquisite sense of timing, and so forth, and so forth.
3: Yes. what was it like to work in radio in those days, Mr. Wales?
4: Oh, my dear man, the earth has never seen, nor will it see again, the assemblage of talent which radio boasted in those days. Ah, uh, it was grand. We were all geniuses. We treated each other with respect and sometimes bought each other lunch. <laughs> radio has always been my first love.
3: Uh, yes. Well, with radio enjoying a resurgence in popularity, Mr. Wales... Is there a chance that you might consent to reappear in your favorite medium?
4: Regrettably, several things would prevent me from making a full-scale return to radio. First, as you so shrewdly observed, one can't do card tricks on radio. And second, for the past few years, I have been immersed in a highly personal film project.
3: Yes, I know. It's called The
4: Other Bag of Wind. Correct. It is a witty, acerbic, sometimes exasperating look at our society through the eyes of an aging movie director. At the risk of spoiling the ending, which involves a deck of cards, I might tell you that the film structure cleverly lampoons the film community and a representative cross section of our society.
3: Mm, It sounds fascinating. When will it be finished?
4: I intend to leave it unfinished as a tongue-in-cheek comment on the state of filmmaking today.
3: So you might say that all's wells that doesn't end Wells.
4: <laughs> you wouldn't possibly. Now then pick a card, any card
3: True or false. The Mutual Radio Theater will continue after these messages.
5: Have we got a special treat in store for you. Buddy Binder, the host of the first national radio aptitude test, is also a fanatic collector of old radio programs. He stores them in an abandoned root cellar outside Yakima, Washington, and only listens to them during electrical storms. Buddy has graciously consented to share some of these great radio classics with us. What will we be hearing first, Buddy? Well, Mr. Griffith, I thought we'd start off with an old-fashioned radio
3: quiz show. Here we go. Hello, this is George Phenomena speaking. And it's time once again for that delightfully entertaining half-hour that pits husbands against their spouses. You bet your wife! And here's your host, that witty, urbane man of a thousand quips, that suave, debonair, Latin, loony, that not-so-gay caballero from south of the border down Argentina way, the one, the only, Gaucho! Gaucho! <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'd like to thank you, George, for that introduction. It's always my pleasure, Gaucho. I said I'd like to thank you, but I don't think that introduction really fit my stature. And if you've ever had your stature fitted, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, who are our face contestants, George? Well, Gaucho, our contestants are Howard and Emma Wilson. Come in and meet Gaucho, folks. Hello, folks. Before you open your mouths, I'll have George lower his voice in a confidential manner and tell our audience what the secret white is. The secret word is albatross. Okay, folks. The secret white is a common everyday item, something you'd find around the house. And if you say the secret white, you win a freezer full of ground beef. And if you don't want a freezer full of ground beef, you can have a freezer full of ground. I'm a vegetarian, Gaucho. Really? I thought you were a Republican. (laughs) (laughs) Emma, do you take this man to be our lawful wedded husband? I do. That's too bad, because I'm available after the show. Pardon me, Emmer. Those of you at home and in the studio audience, do you find this couple as dull and uninteresting as I do? George, give these folks some tacky luggage and get rid of them. Certainly, Gaucho. Boy, I'm sure glad to get rid of that couple. They were like an albatross around my neck. Gaucho, you said the secret word. It's secret void. How do you like that? I don't like ground beef. In fact, I'm not too crazy about this show. George, bring out the next couple. For those of you at home, our next contestant has a classy, chassis. What's more, she's amply endowed. I once knew a law firm named Amply Endowed. Are you any relation? Uh, No. Do you have any relations? Would you like some relations? Say, I'll bet you've got a name. Uh Uh-huh. Isabel. Isabel what? Is a bell ringing? Because I don't hear one. (laughs) (laughs) Is uh, this uh, fellow with you your husband? (laughs) That's right. What's his name? Theodore. Theodore what? Theodore is closed because I can't open it. (laughs) (laughs) Say, don't I know you? Oh, no, that's impossible. I've never been here. You certainly look familiar. That doughy face, those beady eyes, that Neanderthal brow.
5: Oh, I never drink of this stuff.
3: Hey, uh, when can we win some money? You look like you could use some money. In fact, you look like you could use a shave. Are you sure your name is Isabel? Isabel what? Isabel your name. How can a bell be my name? I I, I don't know. What is your name? Theodore. I thought that was his name. He changed it. I see. Those are his middle initials. Why?
5: Ah, that's my middle initial. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's his last name. <laughs> hey, uh, did I say the secret word yet? I,
3: I can't tell you. Why not? It's a secret. <laughs> what does he want? He wants you to know if he said the secret word yet. I, I don't think so. Say, doesn't he ever get on your knives with that horn? Oh, sure. But I get on his knives, too. So you've both got a lot of knives. <laughs> what is it you do that upsets him? Well, sometimes I act like an albatross. (laughs) Congratulations. You just said the secret white albatross and won yourself a freezer full of ground beef. Oh, albatross can't eat the ground beef. Well, feed it to him. He's not an albatross, is he? (laughs) What did he say? His mother's maiden name is albatross. (laughs) Now, that's a horse of a different color. No, that's an albatross. (laughs) What is it now? Hey, doesn't he get a freezer full of ground beef? Why should I give him a freezer full of ground beef? He said the secret word. Are you trying to buffalo me? Well, he wants ground beef and not the buffalo. You'll, you'll, you'll have to come back tomorrow. I'm, I'm all out of ground beef and buffalo. <coughs> what did he say? He said, uh, okay, he'll take a freezer full of albatross instead. Buddy Binder again. And here's our rare recording. You can hear the surface noise. A rare recording of one of radio's first sports shows. If you thought televised golf was boring, just wait until you hear Radio Bowling. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Radio Bowling. As you know, every week we visit a different bowling alley somewhere in this great big country of ours. This week, we find ourselves in the cavernous Echo Park Lanes in California. The Echo Park Lanes boasts the world's most advanced pin-spotting system, as well as the world's longest lanes. If you recall, last week's show ended with Gypsy Joe Abalone facing the always-difficult seven ten split. Joe steps up to the line, cradling that iridescent ball, which is his trademark. Here's a picture of intense concentration as he begins his delivery with that peculiar corkscrew motion that has made him the
2: darling of chiropractors everywhere. (coughs)
3: Boring, wasn't it? Join us next week when we will be radio bowling on the flight deck of the aircraft carrier USS Nimitz. (laughs) True or false? The first national radio aptitude test will not be interrupted by these commercial messages.
5: Andy Griffith again, and here's the spine-tingling conclusion of the first National Radio Aptitude Test, I think. Thank you, Mr. Griffith. We've still got a lot of ground
3: to cover, and if we're not interrupted anymore, I think we'll be able to do it. Hmm. So far, so good. Now then, during the last commercial break, I jotted down several multiple-choice questions, and after I give you the questions, we'll be switching to Mary Kay Burfish in New York for the answers. Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. First question. Radio stations in the east and west differ by the first letter in the station's call letters. Stations in the east begin with W, and stations in the west begin with K. The dividing line which determines east and west is A, the Missouri Compromise, B, the Louisiana Purchase, C, the Panama Canal, D, the Doppler Effect. Got that? Hmm. Here's question number two. The person who plays records at a radio station is called A. Red Snapper B. The Doppler Effect C. Astronaut D. Hockey Puck And now for the final question. The scientific term for the apparent change of frequency of sound waves varying with the relative velocity of the source and observer is A. The Bermuda Triangle B. Billy Carter C. The Doppler Effect D. Poltergeist Take it away,
7: Mary Kay. Thank you, buddy. The answer to all of the above questions was, of course, the Doppler effect. And we're very fortunate to have with us in the studio the man who is responsible for the discovery of this little understood phenomenon, Mr. Seamus Malarkey.
8: <laughs>
7: Welcome to the First National Radio Aptitude Test, Mr. Malarkey.
3: Oh, how do you do? My pleasure, lass.
7: I'd always thought that a man named Doppler discovered the Doppler effect. No,
3: that's all part of the misunderstanding that surrounds this little understood phenomenon. And Doppler was stone drunk in a pub in Dublin when I discovered the effect at a peat bog near Killarney.
7: I'd always thought. There weren't any peat bogs near Cologne. Well, that's all part of the misunderstanding, lass. It's a curse, I tell
3: you. If I may, I'd like to conduct a little experiment.
7: Yes, be my guest, Mr. Millard. Yes,
3: I'd like to have some of the members of the studio audience explain the Doppler effect. Now, I'll wager that no two give the same answer.
7: All right, you're on.
3: You, you, sir. Yes, you with the sandwich board. Now, what is the Doppler effect? Oh, isn't that when your money isn't worth as much as you think it is? Nice try, sir. And you, ma'am, what is the doppler effect
6: uh that's when you're baking a cake and, and someone slams a door and the cake falls oh you're all wrong it's when you're weightless in outer
5: space quiet quiet
3: yeah, you bunch <laughs> of goofs And <laughs> you see what i mean last the doppler effect clouds men's minds oh <laughs> curse the day i ever discovered it in the tin mine near pretoria
7: wait a minute I thought you said you discovered the effect in a peat bog near Killarney.
3: Ah, you see, lass, it's all part of the misunderstanding that surrounds this little understood phenomenon.
7: All right, Mr. Malarkey, suppose you provide us with some more information so we can all understand the phenomenon.
3: Oh, so it's proof you're wanting a demonstration of this little understood phenomenon, perhaps?
7: Yes, a demonstration would be nice.
3: Oh, then a demonstration you shall have, lass. I need a volunteer from the audience, preferably a young lad with a stout heart and a good set of pipes. Uh, you, sir, are you with me? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I like your spunk, laddie, plowing straight ahead into the unknown like this. I'll buy you a pint of stout if you live. If I live... Oh, just a little levity to despair the tension, lad. Now, there's no more danger involved in this demonstration than waving a Catholic flag at a Protestant rally. Now, will you follow me over to the window? There, you too, lass. Now, uh, uh, how high up uh, might you say we are, lass?
7: Oh, about 35 floors. But I don't see why we need to... Up in a window. For the demonstration, dear. <laughs>
3: oh, good Lord, how on earth do you breathe this crud? Well, never mind. Uh, you all know that uh, as a sound moves closer to you, it rises up in pitch. Well, that's half the Doppler effect. And with the aid of this foreign lad here, I will demonstrate that the converse is also true. Are you ready, my lad? Uh, I think so. All right, I'll turn the ledge with you, then.
8: <laughs>
3: like, like like this? Ah, you're a fly after me own heart, laddie. <laughs> now, if you'd be so kind as to take one giant step away from the building...
7: You mean like this? was quite a demonstration, Mr. Malarkey. But I'm still not sure I understand the Doppler effect.
3: Well, it's really something you've got to experience for yourself, lass. Now, out, out of the ledge you go. Oh, wait
7: a minute. No, I think I understand. Oh, no, no.
3: Take one giant step away from
7: the building. Back to you, Bob.
3: Buddy Binder again, and I can't believe our good fortune. We actually completed an entire section of the test without an interruption. Amazing. While our luck is holding out, I'd like to do some more thought-provoking multiple-choice questions. Ready? <coughs> uh, excuse me, please. Is this the first national radio amateur hour? Yes, it is. Well, Wait a minute. Did you say... This is the place, boys. Bring it in here. No, if, if you said what I think you said, there's been an awful mistake. Those crates can go over there, you guys.
2: There's a sign here, pal.
3: No, certainly.
2: Yeah, that's your copy. I'll see you around.
3: I don't understand this at all. These crates are addressed to the first national radio amateur hour. Some of them have the logo of Enigmo the Magnificent. What is going on here?
8: Help! Let me out of here!
3: I thought I heard something.
8: I'm in here, inside the steamer trunk!
3: Sounds like it's coming from the steamer trunk. ta Who, sir, are you? Enigma of the Magnificent, the world's greatest escape artiste. You are the world's greatest escape artiste? Sure, didn't you receive the handles and hype I sent you? No, I don't remember receiving oh, it. Oh, well, to- no sweat, Chad. I got a whole trunk of them here somewhere, but don't take my word for it. The singing is in the pudding, as they say, and I'm here to make a believer out of the entire country with my latest death-defying stunt. And what stunt is that? I escaped from a room full of insurance salesman. That's really marvelous, Enigma, but I think there's been a slight misunderstanding. What kind of misunderstanding? I think you think that this is the first national radio amateur hour. So? Well, it's really the first national radio aptitude test. A test? Well, that's even better. (laughs) For a minute, you had me worried. I thought I was going to have to call all my friends and tell them to forget the whole thing. All of your friends? Oh, sure. I know loads of talented people. They should be arriving any minute. Any minute. That must be them now. Meet Boris
8: perform the Bayonne Baritone. This here is Tiny Tina, the tap-dancing toad. This is my brother-in-law, Max, and his cream-sealed, Socrates. Just remember the subliminal, and and now this... And this is <laughs> the greatest, the greatest, the greatest, this side of Atlantis, <laughs> Italy. Well, I think it's a great thing to do with me. I can hardly wait. Yeah, I, can't I can't understand where the Martin uh, shop went. Uh, I say, I to work all uh, day. I give up. You win. Wait, wait, wait
3: a second. Hey, I'm about to peace and quiet. Now, oh, what were you saying? I said you win. You can have your first national radio amateur hour. Yeah
6: you really mean it? Hey, hey, gang, did you hear that? Oh, you
3: all regret this, pal. How soon do you think we can be on the air? Sooner than we all think, I'm afraid. Anybody in here? Good. At last, no more interruptions, and we can finally take the first National Radio Aptitude Test in peace. <laughs> Ooh, I did not think of this earlier. Oh, never mind. The important thing is, no more interruptions. All right now, pencils ready? Good. Huh. Let's try another true or false question. <coughs> what was that? This is Andy Griffith. Oh, no.
5: I'm sorry, buddy, but your time's up. It can't be, Mr. Griffith. There must be some mistake. This is radio, buddy. There's just so much time allotted to each show.
1: This is
3: depressing. My big chance to be a part of an epic-making event. I'll never get another chance, never.
5: There, there, buddy. You might get another chance. You, You really think so? I wouldn't bet my life on it. But I think you've got something here.
3: Darn right we do. With radio, we can do things no one's ever dreamed of. We could do a remote broadcast in the Fiji Islands for 6.5 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Our Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, The First National Radio Aptitude Test, was written by Mark Trellis and produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your host was Andy Griffith. Our star was Alan Young. Featured in the cast were Marvin Miller, Dawes Butler, Lillian Bias, Mary Jane Croft, Shepard Mencken, Earl Kress, Don Diamond, and Jerry Hausner. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of C.V.R.
5: This is Vincent Price. Join us tomorrow. I'll have another story to astonish and mystify you.
0: See you tomorrow at the matinee, and thanks so much for listening.
7: The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine, together.